Another episode of Gonzaga Nation SI. Every Tuesday here in the offseason, we bring you a conversation with an analyst on the national scene. Today's one of the best out there from CBS Sports, Gary Parrish, based in Memphis, Tennessee. Gary, appreciate you joining. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always good to talk to you. How you been, man? I can't complain too much. I mean, you and I were talking off, off camera really quick before we hit record about the fact that we're at the end of May, early June, and there is still teams that are in flux, not knowing who's on their roster. Teams don't, don't know who's pulling, withdrawing from the NBA draft. It's a wild time of year this year, more so than I can remember in the past. Yeah, and it's a direct byproduct of the one-time transfer waiver and the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness. Like all of these things working in conjunction with each other has really led to some wild off seasons. I think the biggest story, probably Hunter Dickinson leaving Michigan to go to Kansas. But to your point, um, it's been a busy off season. Like I, uh, uh, you know, as the season progresses, uh, you're just trying to get through it, keep your head above water every day. Cause you got a million things to do. And it's like, man, as soon as the off season gets here, I'm going to do a B C all of these things. Cause I'll have free time. And really all I've been doing all off season is updating the top 25 and one, like I think we're up to version 14 already. And you combine that with, you know, the Bob Huggins story and the Jim Bayheim retirement. There's been enough to keep us busy, you know, up into this point, hopefully I'll, uh, it'll slow down soon. And I can spend a little more time on the golf course uh, than I am in front of a computer, but uh, so far it's, it's been busy. So this is obviously obviously a Gonzaga-centric podcast. In your top 25 and one, where do you currently have Gonzaga slated uh, You know, with Graham E.K., with Ryan Nemhart, with Steel Venters um, on the roster currently? But the question marks of Anton Watson, and even to a certain extent, Malachi Smith, even though I don't think Malachi is coming back. Yeah, um, I, I've got him 12th, and... I know the roster maybe doesn't look like an all-time great Zags roster. You know, they don't have a Dan Dick out on it, um, <laughs> but, but they did. Too kind. <laughs> they did enroll Ryan Nimhard, who is a, a proven high level lead guard. And the one that's gotten less of attention, but I'm really high is Graham EK. Yes. I, I'm, I'm imagining you may you might have done a game of his for CBS yeah. Sports Network at one point because um, you know I'm often in studio while you're um, handling a, a, a late Mountain West game or or whatever. Um, he was awesome two years ago, and not you know, sometimes I'm a little hesitant to get excited about guy average twenty and ten, but the team was eight and twenty four. It's like all right, what does that really mean? Like you know, big numbers for bad teams, I think, can be discounted a little bit because, as a coach told me a long time ago, every team's got a leading score, even the worst team in the country. Uh, Basically, every team's going to have somebody who averages at least thirteen points per game. It doesn't always mean anything, but EK did it, and this is my point for a team that like made the NCAA tournament for a team that was actually good. So I, I know he's been away for a while and, you know, you never know, but I expect him to be one of the best bigs in the country. Certainly one of the best bigs in the West coast conference. And when you combine the addition of Nimhard and EK with what few is few he's bringing back, I think you've got a team that is good enough to theoretically compete for another trip to the final four. I don't have him projected that way. I don't think anybody else does either, but among the safest things you can do in college basketball for a long time now is just 
assume the Zags are going to be good. And so I'm going to assume they're going to be good once again. Yeah, you are right, though. I, I have called a number of games with EK, and uh, he's a difference maker. Uh, 6'9", but his, his wingspan is longer than that. He's a he's not a high-flying athlete, but he's better than you think. With him being left-handed, he's got that natural uh, kind of advantage to him already. He doesn't shy away from contact. He can score on the low block. I, I think he's really good in pick-and-roll situations as far as manipulating angles of a screen to, to force – if it's a switch or to force a, a trap so then he gets a roll or a pop, I think he's a really good player. And I think you're spot on in that he's going to be one of the better bigs in the country. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I remember when Kansas State enrolled Keontae Johnson last offseason, um, if you go look at, you know, preseason All-America teams and preseason All-Big 12 teams, he really wasn't a part of it, even though previously at Florida – in the year where he collapsed on the court and had to step away from basketball, he was the preseason SEC player of the year, but he had missed so much time. Frankly, none of us knew what to expect. Like, oh. can you come back after missing nearly two years and be the same player? Well, what we found out pretty quickly is he was an even better version of himself. And so EK has been off of the radar, you know, for a year now because he didn't play at all last season. And, Wyoming was obviously bad, but if you can just go back and I would encourage any Gonzaga fan to go back and like, look at what he did against quality competition consistently in the mountain West conference for a successful winning team two years ago, what you're going to see is a guy who, if he did that for an NCAA tournament team in the big 12, as opposed for an NCAA tournament team in the Mount West conference, people would have been talking about him as a preseason all American last season. And so I'm more uh, more in line to, to talk about him that way heading into this season than I think most people are because I've, I've seen it. You know, I, again, I'm in studio late nights and in New York for CBS Sports Network. I've watched him play a lot, and that's a guy who I don't know what his professional future is, but we're not talking about the NBA. We're talking about college basketball. He has already proven to be a really good college basketball player, and there's no reason, at least from my perspective, to think he'll be anything but that uh, with Gonzaga. Yeah, you make a great point. Be a great college basketball player as opposed to you don't know what they're going to be as a pro. They're two completely different games. I mean, you look at a guy like Hunter Dickinson. That's right. You know, he kind of came out of nowhere, at least in my eyes as a freshman. And he hasn't improved to the point where you're like, he's a pro. Right. But he's carving out a heck of a career. But then you make you see the decision to transfer from Michigan where things are built around him, structured for him go to Kansas is this completely NIL based or is he trying to position himself to maybe have better player development uh at Kansas to get to the NBA even though I could only imagine the player development under Jawan Howard who played darn near 20 years in the NBA uh is plenty good yeah I'll, I'll take Hunter at his word it was largely motivated by name image and likeness you know he said that last season at Michigan this is a big wealthy institution um, that he made less than $100,000 via name, image, and likeness. And obviously that's better than anybody had ever made, you know, five years ago because this stuff didn't exist, at least not legally. But that is still well below market value for a seven-foot-one traditional big who gets you 18 and 10. I mean, that's who Hunter Dickinson has been really more or less since the day he stepped on a college campus. And he knew that he could get a lot more money playing basketball somewhere else. And what he also – 
I think understands is that for a guy like Brandon Miller or any other college player who is an obvious lottery pick, Keontae George, Kaysen Wallace, these guys aren't as worried about NIL money um, um, in the one year of college because they know the millions are coming. Like they will all be instant millionaires next month. What Hunter, I think, recognizes, and if he does, he's smart to do it. It is possible, if not probable, the most money he ever will make playing basketball will be available to him playing college basketball because he's much more valuable to a college basketball team than he will probably ever be to an NBA team. Because like you accurately noted, um, they're two different games. I mean, it's not even the same. I mean, it's, it, they both have baskets and a ball and you dribble it and shoot it, but it's, it, everything's different. In the, co the collegiate level, you can be a traditional big still in 2023 and win national championships and be awesome. And even a player of the year, we've seen it the past two years with Oscar Sheebway and Zach Eady. But in the NBA, if you can't rim protect, rim run, switch onto smaller players and guard in space, I'm not saying there's not a place for you in that league, but there's not a lottery pick available for you in that league you're gonna to have to get in the league and then prove yourself that you can play drop coverage or do enough shoot threes as well so for a guy like hunter dickinson he's an awesome college player he's also heavy-footed he's not a great athlete he's not above the rim he'll get eat up in pick and rolls at the nba level they'll just they'll hunt him and attack him that's why he'll never be a first round pick but he can be literally the best player in college basketball Kansas recognized that. And my understanding is he got a, a promise of roughly a million dollars in name, image, and likeness money. So you, you go, I can spend the next year at Michigan making less than a hundred, or let's say that Michigan could get it up to 200 or 300, or I can make a million at Kansas. And there's no guarantee I ever make a million again anywhere oh. else. This is like, I don't mean to be overdramatic, but, and I don't know Hunter Dickinson's uh, family situation, but for a lot of these young men, um, you can pay off your parents' home. You can buy your first home. You can, uh, you know, enter the workplace, whatever that's going to be for you, um, free of debt and with a larger uh, financial cushion than most college graduates have. And it's why I think we're going to see going forward, you're going to see players who have accomplished everything they could reasonably expect to accomplish in college basketball and they would otherwise just say, you know what? It's just time to get on with it, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. Now those same players are going to say, I'm staying in school as long as I can, not necessarily because I still want to do this, but because this is where I can make the most money. Most oh. normal people select their jobs based on, well, this place has offered me 200,000 and this place has offered me 125,000. I'm going to take the 200,000. Most people make decisions based at least in part on money. College basketball players are now doing it as well. And, and Hunter Dickinson's the biggest um, recent example of that. Yeah, I think that's an obvious example of that. As you stated, you know, I, I said from the start that I, I I approve of NIL, even though or college players being paid. And I agree with NIL. Um, but I always said that it's going to take some time to figure out market value. That's right. I don't know, and I've typically used about three years-ish in, in my estimation of how long it's going to take to flush out because at some point, 
corporations and businesses that pay for these sponsorships or these deals or individual donors and whatnot, at some point, they're going to want to return on investment. But there's only one national champion every single year. There's only four teams going to a national tournament. How close are we to the peak of guys demanding like a mil- close to a million dollars? Um, oh, we're there. I mean, there are people making those types of things. I had a, a mid-major coach tell me that even at his level, you know, you used to go sit in the living room. You went through this with a college recruiting experience. You know, coaches come into your living room and they sit down and they talk to you about their track record with players like you, where they imagine you fitting into the program as a freshman. And then as you progress, they talk to you about facilities. They talk to you about style of play. They talk to you about league affiliation. And now all of that is so secondary. This been my coach told me, he, he said he sits down with people now and, you know, it's a little bit of a tap dance. Some people are more direct than others, yeah. but basically he said all that other stuff, education, facilities, scheduling, where you fit, style of play, all that stuff. It's, it's, we'll talk about that later. First coach, um, you got 30,000 for us. Do you have 60,000 yeah. for us? Do you have eight? He's like, I need to just be able to sit down with a recruit. And this is at the mid-major level. I can't stress it enough. And be able to say, all right, 60,000 is the number. Now, what else do you want to talk about? Because that's all that, that's all now that's all that matters. And yeah. so if that's happening at the mid-major level, it is just expanded at the high major level. And there are legitimately players being promised, you know, seven figures. I do think some of the numbers we hear are exaggerated. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. I mean, I don't. You know, there have been numbers thrown around about Oscar Shibwe, Drew Timmy. The problem becomes we don't have access to those documents. We can't see it. Like, we know exactly what LeBron James makes and exactly what Kevin Durant makes because it's all documented and published. We don't know what players around the country are making, but um, I can tell you what they're asking for in some cases, and I do believe they're getting it in some cases. And I think you're right that uh, these – because this money is coming from boosters. It's coming from boosters who own businesses and they're funneling through their business and then getting it to the players and they will want a return on investment. But I think in many cases, it's not a return on investment in terms of how does this help my business? They really just at their core are willing to spend money to have their favorite college basketball team have better players. And frankly, that's been going on for it has been going on just under the table. Now, what I think is fascinating, I, I used to hear stories about high school football recruiting here in the city where I live, and there would be like, there's a famous steakhouse called Folks Folly, and it's like in the bar area, it's like a bunch of super wealthy people, and they sit in there and drink scotch, and they tell stories about football, and what, and one of them is an Alabama booster, and one of them's a Georgia booster, one of them's an Arkansas booster, one of them's an Ole Miss booster. And as it was explained to me, they'd get in there and they'd get drunk and they'd start bragging to each other. Well, you know, I spent a hundred grand to get that quarterback prospect uh, (laughs) roll tide, right? They all like, but it was a competition between them and they felt genuinely like they were a part of the success of the Georgia football program, Alabama football program, whatever. But they could talk about it amongst themselves, but they couldn't celebrate it publicly. Now they can you know, quite literally celebrate it publicly. Like the reason we got that guy is because I was willing to help us get that guy. People will, as warped as that might sound to yeah. somebody, that's a real 
source of pride for some people who have, in many cases, more money than they know what to do with. And those are the people who are largely financing this stuff. And so I think they're going to keep throwing around money until they recognize it's not helping as much as I thought. And yeah. then they'll probably start screaming about the coach because <laughs> they'll say, I got you the players. I bought them for you and you didn't deliver. So it's a, it's an interesting time. It's an unusual time. I do agree. Um, we are still in the feeling out phase. Nobody exactly knows what's happening, how it's happening and where it's going, but um, there's real money being thrown around right now. And, and, you know, as, as a coach told me, you don't need it to get the high school players as much as you need it to keep, to keep your guys. Because if you have good players in your program and you aren't taking care of them with name, image, and likeness, there is another program that's going to approach their parents, their AAU coaches, and, and just make them aware, hey, I don't know what kind of money you're getting at your school where, where you're at now, but here's the type of money we think we could get you if you were interested in talking about it. And that's how people end up in the transfer portal. I can't tell you um, exactly what number, but a high percentage of people who enter the transfer portal now are not people who are actually looking to leave. They are people who are told there's more for you out there than what you're yeah. getting. Come see what that looks like. That's happening every day. Yeah, no, there's, there's a program and I'm not going to name names, but I've talked to the assistant coach uh, on a number of occasions and the group that was helping funnel the NIL funds last year had a process that didn't work at all. You had all league guys making the exact same, same amount as a walk-on throughout the course of the year. And the way it was explained to me was like, by the end of the year, there was a little bit of friction and looking over their shoulder and it hurt them. Um, again, I'm not going to name programs, but it hurt them at the end of the year in the portal. Oh, there, there's no question. Like, and I, I tell you how it works is um, you'll have a coach. Let's say it's an assistant coach. Cause like at this point, every relevant coach, head coach or assistant coach, has a relationship with every person who runs a big time grassroots program, whether it's uh, Under Armour, Adidas, or Nike, you've probably recruited somebody out of basically every program, or at least you, you've, you've got a, you've got a, he's in your contacts, right? So the way it works is um, it probably starts there with a grassroots coach and you just, you know, you're reaching out just to, cause you're recruiting a class of 2025 kid that he's got or whatever. And let's say that grassroots coach then has a player who, I don't know, is averaging 14 points and seven rebounds at a Big 12 school. So what this coach, let's just say from an SEC school, he calls that AAU coach that he has a relationship with, that he's already recruiting another kid, but that used to coach the guy we're talking about. So pick up the phone. Hey, just checking in with you. Um, how's your 2025 kid going? You know, well, you know, we're trying to get in there. If you can help us with that. Oh, by the way, congrats on how Joey's doing at um, – at Kansas State, man, I knew he was going to be good coming out of high school. You remember, we were at the gym, Peach Jam, watching him. We couldn't quite get that done. But, boy, I imagine putting up numbers like that as a freshman at Kansas State, he must be making a killing, right? Like, what, two or $300,000? Then the coach says, ooh, I don't know. That doesn't, uh, you know, I, I think he's got some NIL deals, but I don't think it's anything close to that. Oh, really? That's interesting. Well, listen, I don't want to bother you, but. You know, when you talk to the parents or whatever, if they are ever interested in seeing, you know, what's out there, we'd love, we don't, we don't want to tamper. I don't want to like, but if they're ever interested in hearing like, 
what somebody could get at a place like where I'm at, well, then um, I, we'd certainly be open to to having those conversations. If he ever got in the portal, that would be something we would be interested in. Now this coach is on the phone with mom and dad saying, hey, listen, I was just talking to an assistant coach I've known for 15 years at an SEC school. He was talking about like $300,000. What's Joey actually getting um, where he's at now? Uh, closer to 50? Oh, wow. Well, he said they'd be interested if Joey was ever interested in exploring that. Is that something you guys want to work? Here we go. That's yeah. what's happening. That's, hey, that, that right there is the best explanation that I've, I've had on this podcast of how it truly works That's because you're a hundred percent spot on in how it snowballs into becoming a player in the portal. And then all of a sudden it's about the money. So Joey was happy at this big 12 school. He's playing as a freshman. He's averaging 14 and seven. They're winning. He doesn't want to leave, but then somebody says, I can multiply what you just made in NIL by six. If you decide to transfer. Do you want to transfer? Well, I didn't want to transfer, but now I'm thinking maybe I should, or else it's financially irresponsible. Not to mention a high percentage of these players come from pretty humble beginnings. So maybe your mom's got some credit card debt. You, you can wipe all this stuff out just by going and playing at a different school. How about this? Nigel Pack. I don't think ever dreamed about playing at the university of Miami. He went to Kansas state out of high school. He's not from Miami, but he transferred to Miami after one year because he was guaranteed $400,000 a year on a two year deal. Plus a car. I don't think he necessarily wanted to leave Kansas state. I don't think if you would have asked him, you know, in a vacuum, if you were to leave Kansas state, where would you like to go? I don't think he would have said Miami, but somebody put $800,000 guaranteed in front of him. And so then he went to Miami and he helped him go to a final four. Um, again, there will be NBA free agents who signed with teams this off season that they don't necessarily want to sign with. They don't want to move to that city, but financially for the, the, the money goes, well, I can't turn this down. I've got to take advantage. I, this is so clearly the best financial deal I can get. It's not really where I want to live, not really where I want to play, but you know, you can only do this for so long. I need to cash in now. There will be NBA free agents that do that this summer. And there are NBA free agents that do it every summer. Yeah. Chandler Parsons is somebody I've known since he was in college. He signed with my hometown franchise, the Grizzlies several years back. I promise you, he didn't want to live in Memphis. I promise you, he did not want to play for the Grizzlies, but they offered him $94 million guaranteed and nobody else would. So he said, grit and grind. I'm moving to Memphis. Um, NBA players make decisions like that every year, and now college players do too. Yeah. No, you're spot on with, with so many of those observations, the way you kind of detailed out how that storyline truly works in many cases. So, Gary, I appreciate the time. You, you're always welcome. I, I Maybe have you back right around the NBA draft uh, because there, there could be some interesting news for Gonzaga fans around that time in regards to – Will Drew Timmy get drafted? Will Julian Strother get drafted? That might be a fun time to have you back in a month or so. Buddy, you know, anytime you want me, I'm a text message away. I appreciate uh, you uh, having me on. And it's always good to talk to you.